0: Hello and welcome to another audio session of Authorized Transmissions from EMS Solutions. Um, I do want to mention one real quickly that we've just started a new uh, thing here at at the uh, audio session. We're going to allow one sponsor each uh, session, and this is going to help us kind of offset the bandwidth and and things like that that cost to put these sessions online, and it'll also help us keep them free for you guys so you can enjoy them at uh, absolutely no cost. Today, we're scheduled to have an interview with Dr. Keith Wesley, and we're going to talk about some of his views on uh, airway management uh, in the field, primarily the use of non-visualized airway uh, versus endotr- endotracheal intubation. Uh, more, more on cardiac arrest patients is, is what he, he's uh, geared towards. And we're going to kind of discuss his views on that and, and, and what, he, what his, feels, what his uh, feelings are with that. I think you guys are going to really find this an interesting uh, audio session today. So let's see if we got Dr. Wesley with us, and uh, we'll get this started. Dr. Wesley, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. Hi, Dr. Wesley. Um, I want to thank you for joining us, first of all.
1: And, well, thank you uh, for having me.
0: I will, real quick, before I start getting into um, the actual uh, session itself and the interview, I'd like to just give you an opportunity to kind of uh, just give us an overview of yourself and what your contributions have been in EMS and where you're at uh, these days uh, in the EMS field.
1: Okay. Well, uh, for the past two years, uh, I was the uh, state medical director for EMS for the state of Wisconsin. Uh, I am now currently... Um, Transitioning from that position, I turned that over to someone else, and uh, since I was just recently appointed as the Minnesota State EMS Medical Director, I thought it would be a little difficult to have the great state of Minnesconsin be created, so uh, I'm just going to work for Minnesota. Uh, in EMS, I'm actually providing medical direction for Health East Medical Transport, which uh, is about a 40000 a year uh, transport uh, agency, uh, primarily inter and critical care uh, in the Twin Cities, uh, but also providing medical direction for uh, several services uh, throughout Wisconsin. Uh, so, that along with uh, what I've uh, been fortunate enough to do with uh, r- r- my uh, writing and speaking. Uh, or uh, at state and uh, national conferences, uh, uh, keeps me busy.
0: Uh, it sounds like it. Well, one of the reasons why I invited you to do the session uh, today is because uh, I do enjoy your articles, um, especially the ones you do uh, for GEMS Magazine, and the one that kind of uh, piqued my interest was the one about non-visualized airway techniques and your uh, views on that, and um, especially with uh, regards to cardiac arrest. And I know in the article you had mentioned that EMS providers and the few pre hospital providers at least should be moving towards more towards a non-visualized airway uh, method uh, of control, uh, again, especially in cardiac arrest patients. And I'm just kind of trying to get listening, kind of your primary thought process on why you feel that we should be more into the non-visualized airway versus uh, endotracheal intubation.
1: Well, I think uh, there there's two uh, two two approaches to this and and I, and I, I certainly understand uh, the passion uh, that some uh, uh, of uh, of our EMTs and paramedics uh, have regarding this issue right. uh, and always the concern that that uh, you know uh, here's a doc that's wanting to take away their a uh, skill from them. Uh, particularly, uh, I've had the, the criticism that you know, it's. I'm doing that because I just don't want to spend the time to, to make sure that they're competent to do that skill. And I guess I, I would like to address that in, in, in two ways. Sure. Uh, f- first, it, it, the, the science clearly shows us uh, in the cardiac arrest model that the role of ventilation uh, is significantly lower than what we thought it was in the past, that uh, that coronary perfusion pressure with continued and unceasing uh, chest compression is uh, appears to be vitally linked uh, to increased return of spontaneous circulation and ultimately survival from cardiac arrest. So that really brings into to, to focus the, the whole role of what we were doing uh, with airway management. And uh, when you look at the psychomotor skill uh, and just the time taken and recognize the fact that performing an intracular intubation in the field is really a very different environment than what occurs in the hospital. Uh, we know that the studies have shown us, particularly the one from San Diego, uh, that the amount of time that's taken uh, to perform that skill uh, and uh, the uh, potential complications associated with it just really call into question this is there a better way uh, that accomplishes what we want to accomplish with getting a patent airway without compromising uh, and interrupting chest compressions. And so there's a growing evidence uh, with data showing the, the application of uh, immediately using a non-visualized airway uh, rather than uh, using the laryngoscope and direct uh, endoscopy so there's that data that that's growing the second comes to the you know the 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 um, uh people who will say well but the intratracheal tube is the gold standard well i, I challenge anyone who ever says that to me to show me the reference where that's the gold standard because if that was in fact the gold standard then the american heart association would rate intratracheal intubation at a at, at a level 1 uh uh, uh criteria Uh, And it doesn't. Uh, It uh, lumps uh, airway management. And I guess I look at the idea of gold standard on intubation is based upon our views of operative management back in the 40s and 50s, when that's all we had uh, was intratracheal tube. And the biggest complication for our patients was, was aspiration and aspiration pneumonia. Well, We're 60 years later now with much significantly greater abilities to take care of aspiration and antibiotics to treat infection, and when you look at the complications of our patients both from cardiac arrest and trauma, it's not the aspiration pneumonia that results in their death. It's the complications associated with what led to their cardiac arrest or their respiratory arrest. And so it really brings into question what really is the gold standard. Um, because you know, it, frankly, we are kind of kidding ourselves if we don't believe that there was some degree of aspiration that occurred during the bag valve masking that that prior to the endotracheal intit- tube being placed. So I guess that's you know kind of strike two that, that that I put out there, and then the third comes down to simply that of of, of competency. Uh, I work in a, in a very high volume, sixty thousand volume ER and I've only intubated twice in the past 12 months. Uh, Now, we're not a level level one trauma center, but we get our fair number of cardiac arrests and strokes and COPD patients. But I'm competing with 20 other docs, uh, and I only get two tubes. Uh, So not only do I have uh, issues of, of, of maintaining competency with that, but then to turn around and look at my service that has 178 paramedics, Interacting with forty thousand transports, of which less than one percent wind up needing an intubation, how do you maintain competency? Yeah. Uh, and, and so, uh, I guess uh, that's the the Reader's Digest version of my perspective. And uh, I guess, I'd, if you, however, uh, you want to go forward.
0: Well, um, I, I I do tend to agree with you. I mean, uh, I was a big uh, proponent of, of you know always with the doing right to endotracheal intubation and all, but. Um, if anyone's taken, let's say, like you mentioned, American Heart Association, if anyone's taken a recent class, uh, ACLS class, they, they, they would probably realize that they don't. The AT, you know, endotracheal intubation is like the last type of thing that the American holiday wants you to do. They're, they're kind of pushing towards the, you know, the using a big valve mask and then using non-visualized airway type um, airway management as opposed to endotracheal intubation. And, and like you said, it also goes back to competency um, Frequency that paramedics do it and you know, even in some urban settings, there was a, a one, one uh, that's on one uh, urban uh, medic uh, system, I believe in New Jersey, where they, they came up with where an average of paramedic is intubating uh, six times a year. And I believe a, if you look at like the anesthesiologist where they, I think they have to have a, like a, you know, in the hundreds per year in order to maintain uh, proficiency you know, for their, their field. So like you said, there is a there is a, a level of uh, competency that has to be taken into consideration. And maybe the more urban settings might intubate more, but you have to think about you know, the, the profession as a whole and, like you said, also the, the benefits to the, the patient, the benefits to what you're treating. Um, the one thing is that I know that some paramedics kind of feel that when when you're pushing the, the non-visualized airway type, uh, airway maintenance, it's kind of dumbing down the the airway management skill and that that should kind of be used as a last resort in airway management. You cannot get uh, an endotracheal intubation, or you can't visualize an airway when you're looking at it uh, with a interscore blade. And uh, and like they said, and you, how you get criticized is, is that many medics might suggest that they should be getting more training and clinical practice to improve the you know endotracheal intubation success rather than just going straight to um, a, non- a non-visualized uh, airway. And... It, do you, do, can you address the concerns that maybe perhaps that endotracheal t- innovation might be taken away altogether just to be replaced by a, a non-visualized airway technique and and, and you know, kind of going towards a simple airway management uh, base?
1: I, I think there 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 is a growing tend to that. And I guess I I, I, um, I just don't like, I, I don't refer to it as taking it away from them because uh, uh, that sounds so punitive in nature as, as showing that uh, Am trying to bring people to a realization of the growing evidence that we have other alternatives now uh, that uh, are, um, uh, uh, if not uh, as possibly more effective, in establishing uh, a patent airway. Uh, you know, we 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 used to push the ET tube because of the idea of pushing drugs down the tube for cardiac arrest, and now we know that that again is just another uh, um, apocryphal. Uh, Undocumented, no data to support that, and yeah. so more and more reasons of, of not uh, to perform this. And certainly, with the data showing in uh, with the traumatic brain injured patients, uh, there I, we all recognize there are uh, the dynamics, the scene dynamics of performing intracranial intubation in the field are just substantially different. Uh, and until we reach a point where we're using continuous waveform capnography, pulse oximetry. Um, uh, to, to ensure that we're not having some of the complications that the that the San Diego study showed with their traumatic brain injury, uh, I think that we have to start thinking about what is best for the patient. Uh, be less concerned that are we dumbing ourselves down, or are we just simply saying, you know, sometimes simpler is better, uh, and it's not necessarily a dumbing down, but a, but a, let's uh, let's just get back to basics. We have one flight service uh, here in Wisconsin that is actually changing their, and this is a flight crew, uh, is uh, taking intubation out of their, uh, I mean, it'll be in their uh, regiment, but they are going to be using a process we call rapid sequence airway management, not rapid sequence intubation. The patients will still be getting the Atomidate and the SUX to uh, uh, relax them, but they're immediately going to a non-visualized airway.
0: Okay, so they'll still be using the same medications as uh, more or less as a, as a RSI, but it's going to be more with the, uh, the non-visualized type area rather than T2.
1: Exactly. Okay. Uh, again to to take you know just taking that information that we know that particularly in trauma patients uh the the amount of secretions that they have your ability to, to get uh, visualization uh and the time that it takes uh, uh, the data shows that, uh, that you know there is undoc- there is unwitnessed or unrecognized uh, episodes of hypoxemia uh, and even bradycardia uh, with uh, with the pre-hospital intubation, and, and probably I think if we wind up studying that, we'll find the same thing uh, occurring in the ERs, uh, and that's why there's a growing uh, move even by ER physicians to 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 not be afraid to to go immediately to a non-visualized airway uh, to get the airway managed and then go about treating the underlying cause of the patient's condition. Um, You can always, once you've got a non-visualized airway in, uh, whether it's a... uh, uh, a King LT, uh, 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 less so with a combi tube, but with a King LT or an LMA, you can then uh, intubate the patient um, uh, using a, you know, some type of tube transfer device, uh, such as an elastic gum bougie, uh or some are even using fiber optic scopes, and just transfer uh, in a tracheal tube uh, in place uh, for, the, uh, for the non-visualized airway. Okay. Um, but do that later once, once you've got the patient stabilized.
0: Right, right. Yeah, like, like you said, kind of focus more on treating the underlying cause rather than going straight to the uh, endotracheal uh, intubation technique. Um, exactly. It kind of, it kind of leads into the next question. I, I guess we kind of covered it, but I know that uh, many EMS systems are using RSI, the rapid sequence intubation, in the field. And I, again, it goes back to the, you go back to the argument again of proficiency, and that and that if we're not doing more endotracheal intubations. Um, and feel that when it comes down to doing the RSI where it's kind of imperative to get the airway, especially once you paralyze somebody, um, that the success will be even less if you don't do it more frequently. And, right, and, and and
1: that becomes, uh, uh, as uh, one of the activities I was engaged in for about 10 years, uh, have, haven't done it for a couple of years, uh, was uh, part of the Committee on Accreditation of EMS Programs. Uh, and, that was a continual deficit uh, as ORs have gone more and more to using non-visualized airways, primary LMA, even the ability to go into the OR and do live intubations, uh, you're, you're, it, they're just not there. And there's no data to, to yet to show that doing them on you know, a, you know, a human simulator uh, can adequately uh, simulate the process uh, to, to really uh, show competency. Uh, there's currently a study going on at Regents Hospital in, in uh, the, uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul uh, where they, for St. Paul Fire, uh, has uh, changed their RSI protocol to the. Uh, what I was talking to, similar with the other flight crew that's in Madison that's already doing it, but they're actually studying it in the pre-hospital environment and it's a and Sucks and immediate uh, King LT. Um, in a way that, that I think if you think about it, there if, if, if we were to go with that approach, One could imagine that more services would be using this rapid sequence airway management uh, approach uh, and using these medications to overcome because when we talk about the services that have wanted to go RSI but have not been able to, it's been because there's been this, well, I'm not sure if we really are are competent enough to do it. Uh, Once you do paralyze the patient, how well are we getting the ET tube in? Uh, the early data coming from regions is showing that the automated and sucks followed immediately by the non-visualized airway. They're getting a non-visualized airway uh, in place in under 30 seconds. So uh, maybe, in a way, for to, to help deal with the,
0: uh,
1: you know, for for lack of better words, the ego issues of you know someone taking my skill away. One could say, well, actually, this may provide you more skills. Uh, because you may, may be your medical director may feel more comfortable about allowing you to use automated and sucks uh, if you 're using a, a proven airway management device. Um, and then, particularly now, we know with cardiac arrest, uh, we need to get vascular access, and so more and more services are going to the, you know, to the IO. Uh,
0: sure.
1: And if, I don't know if your paramedics are like mine, uh, but they're all all fighting over, you know, who gets to get the drill, um, you know, uh, because that's the, that's that's the fun thing now. And so, you know, it, it it is a difficult issue to address, but I think we have to first come back to the to the fact of, you know, what's in the patient's best interest. What's the data sh- showing us? Uh, and then let's um, uh, let's try it, because uh, clearly what we're, we've been doing, we know there's some problems with it. I'm not saying that there aren't services out there that are doing it uh, with quality uh, and with high uh, uh, competency. Uh, the, um, there's clearly some some star programs out there, but. Um, to make it you know, to to then go the next leap and say, well, this should be the standard uh, for intracardial innovation. That's a, a great leap uh, and one that the data is probably showing us that we we need to take a second thought on.
0: Okay. Well, um, again, it, even with the mentioned as far as uh, taking away skills, and I know that me personally, talking to some other uh, you know paramedics that I that I know, um, you know, a lot of us don't really. T- we don't see it as taking away skills because it, overall it being a paramedic and, and being into in you know, pre-hospital care and, and dealing with the, the medicine of it, it's more about the, the clinical impression you're getting and being able to realize what you need to do for the patient, not necessarily the skill set that accomplishes uh, your goal. Um, so the one thing that, they, that a lot of them do worry about, again, it goes back to competency and it goes back to, to you know, being able to get the get the tube when using endotracheal intubation, um, and the one concern is about the patients that don't ne- necessarily fit into the non-visualized airway uh, scheme of thing, like pediatrics and people under a certain weight a certain height, and you know that when you come across these types of patients, that you're not going to be able to get the get the endotracheal tube because you're not as proficient at it because so you, you're so used to starting to use uh, non-visualized airways. I'm just wondering what your kind of take is on that as far as, like, you know, worrying about those types of patient airway management uh, for those types of patients that don't kind of fit into the guidelines for non-visualized airways.
1: Well, and that's a very good question. Uh, Of course, that begs the issue that that says, you know, how many pediatric intubations uh, does even the, the most busy of urban environments get? And that brings us back to the Gaucher study of Los Angeles, Uh, that showed uh, that uh, pre-hospital intubation of peds actually, now there were some systematic problems with that study in that not all the paramedics were doing intubation. They had to wait for the airway captain to arrive. And so the scene times were were definitely prolonged. But how many pediatric intubations do we do? I know that, for me, there's no greater pucker factor uh, than a pediatric intubation. And so, uh, uh, and I have... In my career of 20 years, uh, intubated uh, uh, an infant under the age of one uh, less than twice. Uh, so, you know, I, I myself worry, you know, what is my competent level at, at that? Um, I think that that uh, that as we as we uh, look at what we could do with the bag valve mask and getting back to our basic airway management, uh, particularly recognizing that. There's been a, that, except in the very rural areas where you may have very long transport times, which then brings in the role of do you need ALS intercepts or, or air medical uh, that are bringing in those uh, 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 individuals with uh, uh, more skills or more uh, more experience, that, mm-hmm. you know, we really changed our, our perspective of what's going on in EMS. Uh, in the Johnny and Roy days, it was take the hospital to the patient because by and large our ERs were not staffed with the highest and best-trained individuals. Well, 60 years later, we have the American College of Emergency Physicians and board-certified emergency medicine and TCEN-certified and and CCEN-certified nursing staff. And so the quality of our ERs overall is substantially better than it was in the 1960s. And so there's a paradigm shift of, you know what, sometimes... Saving time uh, by cutting our scene times and getting our patients to the ER faster may be in our patient's best interest than it was before. But what I often ask services that, that are looking at this issue as is I go, well, you know, yeah, we could we could invest an incredible amount of time and energy in, in making sure that you are competent to intubate everything that come that you come across, from the patient with a stoma to the airway cancer to the, you know to anything that you could imagine. But let's calculate what amount of time and energy and money that that would cost for us to invest in you and compare that with what other things could we do as a system that one could even decrease the likelihood that we need to intubate you know so that brings up the issue of pre-hospital CPAP and I ask services how, you know that are using RSI I say how many of you are already using CPAP I'm amazed at how few are doing that I go well the data shows that pre-hospital CPAP actually decreases the, the, the need for intubation by 80%. So maybe our, our efforts are better used at, and, and better served at uh, concentrating. I mean, we only have the so many training dollars. We only have so many hours in a day that we can devote to, to education and competency building. And sometimes we have to concentrate on the thing that is going to give the, the most good for the most people. Uh, and this may be one of those cases uh, where we need to look at, you know, how much more aggressively should we be treating our congestive heart failures uh, uh, with, with high-dose n- uh, nitrates, uh, and maybe it's, in our better, uh, it, it's better overall for us to spend our, our training dollar in those regards uh, rather than to ensure that you, you can uh, put a tube in anything that you might ever come across.
0: Sure. Well, so um, that's kind of
1: I... my, man- my manager's hat uh, yeah. perspective of it.
0: Well, I mean, uh, would you be a supporting of, of, of kind of, get, of taking endotracheal intubation out of, out of the, the field operations and just going towards uh, a 100%, uh, you know, uh, non-visualized airway for all patients, or do you still think that, you know, endotracheal intubation still kind of, you know, has a need in the field?
1: I, th- I think that it's, you know, we, I don't think we should remove the tool completely away uh, it, it, it certainly uh, there's going to be people as we transition and grow into this understanding. Uh, I, I don't want to place providers in the field uh, in situations where they feel hamstrung uh, 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 and uh, unable to use a skill that they personally feel that they're competent to, to use. And if they can show that they're personally competent to use, then then they then their medical director and their service should probably let them continue. Uh, So I think we're going to see a transition occur. Uh, So I I don't see, uh, uh, you know, every system is going to have to look at this individually. Um, I know uh, when uh, uh, Dr. Dumford in San Diego, when they came up with their uh, intubation uh, uh, study results, uh, the first thing he did uh, when he was looking at intubation success rate is he wrote a protocol that says you only get one attempt. And his success rate for intubation went from 92% to 97% on first pass attempt. Well, at first you say, well, well, that means they got better. Well, it was a combination of things. Not only did the people that they tube, were they more likely to get the tube in, but actually the numbers of patients, the percentage of patients that they elected not to tube increased because it brought again to that, that, that realization that says, you know, you look at it and go, I'm not going to get this tube. We've all seen that. We've been there in those kind of codes. The patient's vomiting. It's low light. It's a very. It's a difficult extrication type of situation. And you just know in your gut, I'm not going to get this tube. And uh, it was amazing that just by changing his protocol to saying, if you're going to tube, you only get one chance. It 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 caused this introspective kind of thought process that says, well, if I only get one chance, how how comfortable am I that I'm going to get it um, and that's the kind of thought process that I think we start uh, I'm not you know I wouldn't support a, you know an idea of let's, a moratorium let's get rid of it uh, I don't think there's that enough bad data on it but I think it's going to take time to through discourse like we're having today uh, to to transition uh, sure. just like it is with, with with anything else in EMS
0: yeah you know and and, and like you said it, it's I don't worry about losing skills as much, and and I mean me, me personally, I worked in the city of New York for quite a while, and then they don't they don't use non-visualized airways It's all, endotracheal intubation, I, and I became very comfortable with endotracheal intubation, and then I wound up working in different uh, systems, um, and, you know, upstate and in New Jersey and things like that, and and they used the the uh, you know the combi tube or the king tube. And at first, I was very intimidated by it, by the non-visualized uh, the airway. I was very t- intimidated by using them. And now that I've, I've used them a few times, and, and, and I'm much more comfortable in using them. And and, I, and then again, you talk about the CPAP, and that's something that I've been using as well. And I've also, like you said, I've noticed that it drops the requirement to have to intubate these patients that you normally would wind up intubating because you're able to use the CPAP, and I think more more than just actually losing a skill, it's kind of just kind of gaining more of a clinical uh, expertise being a paramedic and not worrying about your skill set as much as you should be worrying about, uh, you know, how to, how to tell what's going on with the patient and what that patient's going to require and the best way to treat the patient, not necessarily the, um, the accepted way or the way that you've been using past, you know, years or whatever. Right, or to
1: over-concentrate on one area, uh, you know, it's like the, you know, uh, as we teach in trauma, uh, the thing that's bleeding is the last thing you look at. Uh, you know, unless of course it's spurting and hitting and, you know, hitting the ceiling. Right. Because the trauma patient's not going to die from the obvious wound. Usually, it's going to be from a complication of something else that you didn't witness. Right. Uh, and uh, and so I think the, the same thing is uh, true in airway management. Um, so it, it is. A, it's 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 going to be a time of change and uh, exciting one. And I, I think uh, I think we're going to see a lot of interesting papers uh, published in the next year. Because uh, clearly, uh, with the 2010, I, I, I would expect. Uh, if, you know, when I, I always do my prediction of what the AHA is going to do, uh, but I would not be surprised that the 2010 guidelines come up with a much stronger stance uh, on the use of non-visualized airways. Uh, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens.
0: Sure. Well, um, yeah, I'm going to say you definitely made some very interesting points today on this, and. And, like, there's going to be a lot of studies coming out, you know, on this issue and in the years to come. Um, I do want to thank you for joining me today in this audio session. And, and I'm hoping maybe in the future we can get together and maybe discuss some of the other articles you've written and, and kind of uh, focus on those topics and that you're really uh, passionate about. Uh, but before I end the session with you, I just want to give you a chance, if you have anything upcoming you want to share with the listeners or anything like that, or... or Anything, any books you're writing or, or, or lectures you're having? Uh,
1: I can't think of anything other than I will be at EMS today in March in Baltimore. So if uh, if any of your listeners uh, uh, get a chance to, to come by, uh, besides my lectures that I'm giving, uh, I'm giving one that I'm very passionate about, and that's on uh, agitated delirium uh, and uh, uh, in-custody deaths by law enforcement uh, with tasers. Um, uh, and, and the bottom line is it's not the tasers that kill it's the drugs that the patients are on uh, but uh, uh, I'm going to give that and there's going to be some, ever, some really interesting lightning rounds and evening uh, kind of uh, t- uh, talk with the authors and, uh, and meet the speakers uh, sessions uh, that are going to be in the uh, uh, vendor area and so I uh, welcome anyone to come by and say hi and, uh, and, and carry on the, uh, the discussion
0: Wow, sounds really great. Well, maybe I'll see you there. Um, Again, I want I want to thank you, and uh, I hope you have a great day. And I'm sure listen is going to really enjoy this session.
1: Very good, Jim. Thanks for your help.
0: All right, have a great one. Bye bye. All right, bye bye. Well, um, I want to thank you again for joining us on this audio session. And again, uh, we did start uh having a sponsorship for this um I'm not sure if I mentioned it in the beginning of the audio or not but this session is uh sponsored by the wantonu uh oxygen wrench which is pretty much the only wrench you are ever going to need to own uh you can get more information about the Wantanyu wrench at com it's w a n t y n u.com and you can find some more information on this really great product um, the other thing I want to mention is that uh, these audio sessions are really starting to grow in popularity uh, in length and in different topics. If you have a topic you want to hear or a speaker you'd like to hear, uh, drop us an email at info at safetycom and we'd love to get a hold of some more speakers and some more interesting topics that you'd like to hear about. For more information on airway management, make sure you check out our website at ems-safety.com, and look for the free Uncovering Difficult Airways Report that we have uh, on the site. It's a free report. You can download it for free online, and I think it covers a lot of what we we talked about today as far as how to use um, non-visualized airways as well as how to kind of handle some of the uh, difficult endotracheal intubations you might come across. So uh, go on ahead and download that free report, and I really look forward to welcoming you uh, to our, our membership base, and, and hopefully we'll get a new audio session soon. And until then, as always, I want you to stay safe and uh, we'll see you soon.